You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, please turn over to the book of Philippians. We're going to be uh, finishing up chapter number one this evening. Philippians chapter number one. And challenges, we study this great book of the Bible. Uh, the book of Philippians, chapter number one. I want to begin reading in verse number 27. It's good to see you here tonight. We're missing quite a few, but it's we've picked up a couple of visitors. Uh, first time visitors on a Wednesday night, I think, are pretty close to it. But So thankful for that. But uh, uh, let's see. Philippians chapter one. I want to preach tonight about the winning walk. About the winning walk. How many of you know that the that there is uh, there's spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare, serious warfare in our lives as Christians? It really is. It's a real thing. But uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of things that we do offensively. In other words, we're to be on the attack. But then there's also some things that we're to be defending as well. And uh, that's, that's what tonight is going to deal with. Uh, and it's interesting the way that we defend uh, the faith, as we're going to see here in a minute. And that's why we have the winning walk. Uh, chapter 1 of Philippians. And... Um, Let's back up to verse number 25 because I want to include that tonight. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming unto you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and ye stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. And uh, so let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we will deal with uh, these verses this evening. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege to be here tonight. God, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and open up our minds, God. And I pray that, you'll, uh, that you would help us, dear Lord, in our behavior, the way we live our lives, God, to, be, uh, to glorify you, to bring glory and honor to you. We'll thank you for that, dear Lord, and uh, we'll praise you, God. And so just challenge us with these verses tonight, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the book of uh, Philippians was written to a group of churches and, and one specific church in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was named after Alexander the Great's uh, dad, uh, uh, Philip, uh, and uh, you, as you may guess, but uh, it was it was a Roman colony, and that that plays a part in the way this book is written. The fact that it's a Roman colony, and so a Roman colony was obviously a place that the people in Philippi were therefore Roman citizens. And it was supposed to be kind of an outpost of Rome. And they were to represent Rome there where they were. That was very important uh, that they do so. And so, uh, and it was written, of course, by the Apostle Paul. Where was the Apostle Paul when he penned these words? He was in prison. He was in prison. And we can tell that this church is going through some difficult times also. We just kind of read the verses about that. But he was in prison. But you would never know it if you look at his attitude through this. And there's so much that we can learn through here practically. Now, I've heard it said a lot of times there's things that are easy preaching and hard living. 
And there's a lot about what we find in here that's kind of easy preaching and hard living. In other words, we've got a man that's in prison, wrongfully imprisoned, I might add. He's awaiting a death sentence. Uh, The Apostle Paul, all he has done since he has known the Lord is faithfully preached the gospel, faithfully carried out the charge that God has given to him. And now he's in jail for preaching the gospel. And ultimately, Paul is going to stand before Nero, uh, the the, the madman Nero, and he is going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. Uh, But yet, through all of this, the Apostle Paul says, you know what? Whatever God wants, I'm good with. And he's accepting this difficult circumstance that he's going through, and he's encouraging them to accept the difficult circumstances that they're facing. But not only so, he's he's doing it joyfully. He's encouraging them to do it joyfully. I mean, when you read all the joy and rejoicing in this book, you would think everything must be going really good in their lives and in, the, in Paul's life, but it's not. But so it's, it's an example of what God can do in us and what the Spirit of God, what the truth of God can do within our hearts. Uh, and so uh, with that in mind, he begins to challenge them. As we've gone through this, there's been some Kind of some interesting interesting themes in chapter in in verses one through eleven. We saw that we are sons in the family, enjoying the fellowship of the gospel, and that's kind of where we started with this book. How how much they loved one another, how much they cared for one another, and and I've I've said it. I'll probably say it many times throughout this as we study the book of Philippians. Man, this church reminds us of you. It reminds me of this church. It reminds me of the love and the care and the fellowship uh, that we have here in this church, and so. Uh, verses 1 through 11, enjoy a family enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. In verses 12 through 26, we are servants sharing in the furtherance of the gospel. Servants sharing in the furtherance of the gospel. And then what we're going to deal with tonight, uh, we are going to look how that we are soldiers defending the faith of the gospel. Uh, and we, in the midst of this battle that we're in, we can have joy. Uh, I wish I could. I wish I'd have looked this story up. As I told you, uh, I, I get notes and I study my notes and I plan to stick to my notes. But then I get up here and a lot of thoughts come to my mind. Uh, but I remember hearing a tray you about uh, some Marines, and I believe it was uh, you know through the course of their um, help me with the name of your final test. And I don't know if it was the Crucible or another challenge or whatever it was. Maybe, maybe it was the Navy SEALs. Maybe it was a different group. I can't remember. But, but the one thing I remember is that they made them get down in water. Uh, it, was, it was cold and you had to stay there like basically through the night. Uh, you had to stay in water all night long. So maybe it was the SEALs. I can't remember. But the thing I remember is uh, finally in the midst of that, that freezing cold, I mean borderline hypothermia uh, that one of the Marines or one of the SEALs or whatever it was began to sing a hymn that they had learned, uh, one of the songs that they had learned. And then all of a sudden, uh, others start to join in. And as they do it, the drill instructors actually start yelling at them, telling them to stop, to shut up. They don't want to hear that. They really do. But they're, they're trying to test their resolve. And so there they are. And the way they got through the night is by singing. They got through that difficult time by finding joy And that's kind of what Paul's saying that we can experience here. Uh, So the first thing I'm going to look at tonight is confidence in the power of the truth. The very first thing Paul says here in verse 25, he says, and having this confidence. See, he had confidence uh, in the Lord. He had confidence in what God's word could do in them and was doing in them. Confidence in the power of the truth, the faith of the gospel. Notice verse 25 again. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide 
and continue with you all for the furtherance of joy and faith. Go down to verse 27 real quick. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I uh, come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And here it is, that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind together in the faith. In the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. So when we talk about the faith, what do you think of? See, there's a kind of a distinction there. The Bible obviously speaks of faith that says without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this does not just, it's not just talking about that kind of faith because the Bible says the faith, the faith of the gospel. You find this again in the book of Jude, uh, Jude verse three, where the Bible says that we should uh, defend the faith, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints, contend for the faith. That's the same principle here. Stand for the faith, contend for the faith. So when the Bible speaks about the faith, as a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, In the latter times, in the last days, the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. And so there's a distinction here. When the Bible talks about the faith, it's talking about the, the revealed truth of God's word, the, the total embodiment of revealed truth. So this faith, it's not just talking about faith, believing in God and trusting in, you know, the evidence of things hoped for and uh, so forth. Uh, but it's talking about the faith that speaks about the word of God, our doctrine, the truth that we have. This truth, the Bible says in in First Timothy chapter one, verse 11, uh, Paul said, the God that's committed the gospel to my trust. He's committed the gospel to my trust, the Apostle Paul said. And then he committed that trust to others like Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20, whose responsibility it was to commit this and deposit it to others. And basically what we see here is that when we were saved by God's grace, God, every one of us, he, if you're saved, he saved you. And he not only gave you the gift of salvation, he gave you the gift of the gospel. And he gave you the gift of the word of God. And it's our responsibility to share the gospel with others. But it's also our responsibility to stand for the faith. Stand for what the Bible says. Uh, and, and, and the Bible tells us how to do that. It says that we hold forth the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. We stand in love. But buddy, we stand nonetheless. Because uh, it is not love if we're not standing for the truth. You know, we had that verse just a moment ago. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Um, we stand for the truth and we, but it, it's interesting how the Bible tells us in these verses that we do that. Now there's an enemy who's out to steal the treasure from God's people. Now there's good news. The Bible teaches that if you are saved, you have eternal security. You're saved forever uh, if you're saved by God's grace. So that's good news. So the devil cannot take away our salvation. Jesus said, neither can any man pluck them out of my hand. And the Bible even says when it says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Uh, that who there, it, it's, it's a prosecuting idea like the adversary, which is Satan, who would accuse us before the Father. Uh, how many of you know that if, 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 when, if and when Satan goes to accuse us, how many of you know that he has a case? Right? He's got a case. So in other words, not everything he's accusing us of is lies. He is a liar, but he can go be honest with God and say, you know what, this person isn't worthy. 
This person is not living up to what they're supposed to be. And, and he would be absolutely right. But I'm so glad the Bible says, who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? Then it goes on to say, if God be for us, who can be against us? And literally the idea of God being for us, we, we mix that up a lot of times. This sounds good to say, God's for me. God's on my side. But the truth of that, what that verse is really saying is this. If God be in our stead, if God be for us, who can be against us? So in other words, when Satan comes to accuse us, the reason that we are still justified and he can't take our salvation is that Jesus is the one who is for us. He's the one that's in our place. He's the one, if you take it into the courtroom scene, He's the one, if we're sitting over here being accused, we've just got to say, man, guilty. But what the Bible says is that Jesus Christ is for us. So any accusation, because if we're saved, the Bible says we are in Christ. That's a good place to be, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to be secure. But what the devil would like to steal, and the enemy would love to steal, is uh, us... Uh, getting a grasp on the word, word of God, sharing the Word of God, sharing the Gospel, sharing the truth of God's Word. And I'll tell you something else. How many of you know that Satan would just be just fine if we just don't get in the Word of God? Or if we just kind of uh, go a little bit through the... Man, I'm telling you, it's, it's an amazing thing. I mean, the Bible talks about the... the says that it is our food. It's our bread. It's our meat. It's our milk. It, it sustains us. Can you imagine eating... Uh, physically, like you eat spiritually, if you compare your intake of the Bible, man, it'd be hard to get through the day, wouldn't it? I'm one of those people that like breakfast. Anybody else like breakfast? I go to bed at night. I'm already looking forward to breakfast in the morning. I kid you not. It's like exciting. I'm looking for. I'm like, I can't wait to go to bed and get up and eat my breakfast. Uh, and now some of you don't eat breakfast, but but I but I tease. I was like, man, uh, you know, Jennifer, Jennifer and I are on her way to work in the morning. She she's one of those people that doesn't eat breakfast. And uh, and I'm thinking, man, I'm telling you, I'd be there an hour and a half or two, and I would be laying in the floor. Somebody would have to come just scrape me up if I didn't eat breakfast. That's the way I feel about it. But, uh, but, but think about that spiritually speaking. There's a lot of us that are weak. And you know, it's something. I, I, I saw this today and I thought it was really interesting. People sometimes complain about not hearing from God. I just don't know. I can't hear nothing from God. I hadn't heard from God. I hadn't heard from God. He sent you a letter. Have you opened it? This is addressed to you. And I'm not trying to fuss. I'm trying to encourage you, man. Get in the Word of God and partake of the, of the wonderful wealth that He's got here in the Word of God. And so, but, but, but Satan wants to rob us from these things. Now, because here's something else that goes along with this. What's being taught in these verses is a very simple truth. And it's almost, it can be uh, almost a little bit cliche. But there's a saying that says uh, that what you believe determines how you behave. Because what we're being encouraged, as we're going to see just here in a moment, is that what we believe about the Word of God and, and the fact that we're in the Word of God is going to change the way we live our lives. And actually, when we talk about this battle, one of the ways that we stand for the faith and defend the faith is just by simply living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. It's by living a life that is manifesting the truth of God's Word through the power of God's Word. Now, I know that may sound daunting a little bit, like I don't know if I can live that kind of life, but I'm telling you, uh, if anybody can live that kind of life, you can live that kind of life because it's not about you. Oh, you don't know how weak I am. You don't know how much I struggle. You don't know any of these other things. It doesn't matter. I would say you don't know my God, amen? And maybe you do know my God, but you're forgetting. You're looking at the wrong person. 
Right? It's one of the clear principles in the Word of God. Do you remember when God told, the, God told Israel, I will give you Canaan's land. I will give you that land. That is your land. It's my land, and I'm giving it to you. It's got your name on it. It's yours. They send 12 spies over into Israel, or over into Canaan's land, to spy out the land. And when they get there, uh, two of them come back and say, Man, praise God, it's a wonderful looking place. This is going to be great. This is going to be a great life we can live. We're going to live a victorious life. But the other 10 come back and said, Did you see the giants over there? They've got big walled cities. Did any of you get these things in your life? You, you, you can find a problem, man. You can find one. If, if there's not one, you're going to find one, by golly. Uh, right? And that's the way these ten men were. Man, there's giants. There's walls. There's this and there's that. And he said, we were, we, we're grasshoppers in their sight, and we're grasshoppers in our own sight, he said. They said. And that spread throughout the camp. See, but those, those two, they had faith, and they said, no, 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 no. No, Joshua and Caleb are saying, no, I'm not saying that I can go over there and beat this giant on my own. I'm saying God gave us this land. And so while they were looking at the giants, Joshua and Caleb was looking at God. Amen. And that's what we've got to learn to do. It's not about you and your weakness. And I've got good news for you, too, by the way. The Lord said where when we are when we are weak, then we are strong. Why? Because the Bible says in my weakness or in, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. So I want to encourage you tonight. It is possible. It is within reach. It's not about you. It's just believe God. Believe God for what he said he would do in your life. And so what he's telling us here is a spiritual way, spiritual weapons. The Bible says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. And 2 Corinthians 10, we use the Word of God, prayer. We depend on the Holy Spirit of God to give us the power that we need. But one of, one of the key things that he's encouraging throughout Philippians, he's, he's praising them for their unity, but he's also challenging them because there is a, a little bit of arguing going on within the church there in Philippians. And so he's admonishing them. He's explaining. We're, we're going to look at three things tonight. Three things that are essential for victory in the battle for the faith. And that's what I'm going to look at tonight. Three things that are essential for, uh, for victory in the battle for the faith. Number one, consistency in our conversation. Consistency in our conversation. Uh, and we'll see that in just a moment. So not only consistency in our co conversation, but also our cooperation in the truth. And then um, lastly, there's something else. Um, and then uh, also our confidence in the midst of conflict. But we'll begin by looking quickly tonight about our, our consistency in conversation. Now, notice verse 27 again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, the Old English word conversation means walk and not just talk. It actually is more related to our walk. And that's why I entitled the message, The Winning Walk, uh, of our lifestyle, our behavior. And there's another cool connotation that goes with it that we'll see in just a minute. But the idea is that we conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, the most one of the most important weapons against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It is the consistent life of God's people. 
The verb, and this is cool, the verb that Paul uses related to our word politics. You said you're preaching about politics tonight? A little bit, amen? But not really. Here's what it is. He's saying this way, behave the way citizens are supposed to behave. Because when the Bible talks about our conversation, there's a political uh, aspect. Remember how I said the Philippi, the, that, that Philippi was a Roman colony? And so they were expected to follow Roman laws and to they were expected to live like the Romans and to represent Rome even there. And, 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 what, what's, and so they understand when you talk about this conversation, we are Christians. We are God's people. And so we're supposed to represent the Lord in this world. It's our lives, our words, our actions. Paul is suggesting that we are, we as Christians are citizens of heaven. And while we were on earth, we ought to behave like heaven's citizens. He brings this concept again in, in, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Let's flip over there and look at that one real quick. He says it again, verse Philippians 3.20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our conversation, our behavior, he's saying our citizenship. Since we are citizens of heaven, then we ought to represent heaven well. It would be a very meaningful people again to these people in Philippi. Uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ is a colony of heaven on earth. And so we're supposed to represent uh, the Lord in that way. For, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That's Philippians 4 1, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says that we should walk worthy uh, of the Lord unto all pleasing. It's worth remembering that the world around us knows only the gospel that it sees in our lives. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you. See, our lives represent the gospel. People, what people... You think about the people that you know that has a lot of resentment toward Christians. You know why? A lot of times it's because of Christians, whether true Christians or nominal Christians, that they have known. You meet somebody that, 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 that they've, all they've known is a crooked preacher, uh, you know, then that's just what they think preachers are like. And that's what they think Christians are like. And they meet, uh, you know, somebody that's, that they feel like is hypocritical. And they'll be like, and, and it affects the gospel of Christ, it affects the person that we represent. Uh, the gospel is the good news. Now, our lives ought to represent something. Isn't it interesting when we talk about baptism, and when you talk more about baptism, if you haven't uh, been, if you haven't followed the Lord and believers' baptism, you need to do so. Um, but uh, baptism is an outward symbol of something that happened to us spiritually. Baptism is a public identification. So, there's a water baptism, but there's a spirit baptism that takes place when we get saved by God's grace. What happens to us when we trust Christ is that we are identified with His death, His burial, and His resurrection. We're, uh, it's, it's the fact that He died for us. He carried our sins away. He rose again on the third day so that we might be justified. And so that's literally what happened to us spiritually when we were saved. We experienced uh, that. And then we follow the Lord in water baptism. But here's the idea. Uh, 
Our lives ought to represent that because we are raised again, the Bible says, to walk in newness of life. A different life, amen? I mean, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we become perfect or that we become sinless. I want to tell you something. God is working on us still. He makes a change in our lives when we get saved, uh, but it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we become uh, sinless. Uh, but we ought to sin less, as someone said, uh, but we still are people and we still have a lot of growing to do. And I'm telling you, uh, the, the work that God is still doing in me, it reminds me of the kid's song that he's still working on me. Any of you know that song? Kirk, get up here and lead us. I'm just kidding, but uh, he's still working on me to make me what ought to be. It, take him, it took him a week, just a week to make Mercury, moon and the stars and Mercury and Mars and I know Kim knows it, uh, but, 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 to, but to make me what I ought to be, he's still working on me. The Lord saved me back in 1992. How many years ago has that been? Okay, so for 50 years, uh, the Lord has been working on me. And I'm telling you, he's not done yet. He's not done yet. I, I am, I, there's still a lot of rough edges. I'm still a work in progress. Um, and, but, but through, through my life, he wants to show people the gospel. And you know, some of that even does include the fact that we do fail sometimes. Because we can also be a testimony to the fact that, praise God, he loves sinners. You know why that's good news? Because you're a sinner. And so am I. Amen. So it's good news that He loves sinners. It's good news that He forgives and that He uses imperfect people. It really is. Um, we sometimes put more pressure on ourselves than God puts on us. We really do. We just need to let the Lord live His life through us. Amen. He loves us like His children. I mean, and, and, and God is so much wiser than any of us parents are concerned. I can look back on times uh, with my kids, and it seems like especially my son, to where I, I had too many expectations for him when he was really little. And I look back and I think, man, I can't believe I was expecting him, uh, expecting that much out of him, and he was only, you know, just a little tight. And, uh, but, but I did because I wasn't so wise in that. But our God, our God's not looking at us saying, what's these people's problem? What's wrong with you, boy? You know, get your act together. You know, God's like, I said, no, I know where you're at. I know who you are. I knew, I knew when I saved you, how you would come along. I knew your faults and failures. Cause I'm telling you, I could get awfully discouraged to be honest with you. I could get really frustrated if I just look at myself sometimes and just say, I'm just a mess. I'm just a mess. Sometimes it, don't, it feels like I'm in worse shape than ever. But then I just stop and think, but Lord, I'm so glad that when you saved me, you knew I'd be a mess and you saved me anyway. Amen. And I'm so glad that God, uh, listen, he is still working on us. He does not give up on his children. He does not get frustrated with us. He literally does not get to a place where he said, I don't get, I don't get this person. Never. He knows. He's patient. He knows you and He loves you. And I love this. Man, He loves you with a love that won't stop. It just won't stop. His love for you just won't stop. The Bible says He loves us with an everlasting love. And so, uh, thank the Lord for that. And so our lives should illustrate the Gospel. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we're not saved from our sins. Uh, or we're not saved by our sins by faith in Christ plus something. We're saved from our sins by by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And you want to know something? The life that God wants us to live, He wants us to learn to live by faith through grace alone. Amen. And yes, that will bring about good works. But it's not about us. It's about producing good works. It's about growing in Christ. It's about spending time with Him. So we ought to be representatives of, the, of Christ. We ought to be representatives of the Lord. Uh, there was a man that came to his pastor and he said, uh, we have some neighbors who have believed a false gospel. They come to the pastor and they said, Pastor, we have some neighbors that have believed the, 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 uh, that, that believe a false gospel. Do you have some literature I can give them? And I want to say thank God for these people that had enough care to say, I'd I, I care about them. I'd like to reach them with the gospel. But the pastor opened up his Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. And here's what it says. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Now it's good. Don't misunderstand me. It is good to try to get materials into people's hands to read. Because, again, I said it on Sunday, but I'm telling you, man, one of the great influences of, the, of Christ and the Bible and Christianity on society is education. We want people to be in the light. We want people to know the truth. Um, and so uh, it's good to get them literature. But, the, but that pastor was just simply saying this. The best literature in the world is no substitute for your own life. Let them see Christ in your life and your behavior, and this will open up opportunities to share Christ's gospel with them. One of the greatest weapons against the devil is a godly life. And a local church that practices truth and behaves what it believes is going to defeat the enemy. I mean, it's going to be hard. It, it, it kind of goes like this. Uh, you, you, believe it or not, there's people that may or may not say bad things about this church. We know that uh, recently we had a, a just a troubling situation where a, a, a person a, a person that was just, just the Lord was doing great things in their lives at this church, and some people in another church, family members, uh, all of a sudden they decided that we're a cult over here. Is that terrible accusations? But you want to know something? If we live the way we're supposed to live. I, 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 it goes back to my Bible college days. Uh, Brother Eugene Goodman, he, he said, man, he said, throughout my years of pastoring, he said, people would, sure would, and uh, they, they would run me down. They'd have bad things. People, some people through the years would slander me. He said, but I never addressed it. He said, I just tried to live in such a way to where nobody would believe it. Amen. And if we are practicing truth, amen, if we're living the lives we ought to live, we don't have to go out and really defend ourselves. Our lives will defend it because the only people that will believe those kind of lies are just the people that want to believe them. Right. But if people look at our lives and our testimonies and the way we're living and the way we're loving and the way we're caring and the way we're trying to make a difference. They'll say, wait, what are you talking about? Amen. I mean, uh, those people, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to live by the word. They're trying to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so we see the, the, the first thing, the first uh, essential for victory in protecting the faith is to be consistent in our conversation, which is to say our lives. But then the next thing is cooperation. 
Now, we're going to try to look at this. Verse 27b, uh, the Bible says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, and whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul changes the illustration from politics. In other words, you're ambassadors. You're representing your country. Now he goes to athletics. And I like when Paul uses athletics. I really do. I like when the Bible uses that um, because I like sports. The word translated striving together actually gives us our English word for athletics. Paul pictures the church as a team. And he reminds them that teamwork makes the dream work. That's in verse 27. It says it right there. Teamwork makes the dream work. It doesn't say it exactly like that. But uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier is that, uh, that there was some division in the church. We'll see that in chapter 4. For one thing, there were two women in the church that were not getting along with each other. Chapter 4, verse 2. And apparently, the members of the fellowship and the members of the church began to take sides with these women, with, with one woman. And somebody says, are you, are you team this? Or are you team that? You know? And, and uh, by the way, isn't it something? You, you ever deal with people like that? I hope you're not one of those people. If you are one of those people, quit being one of those people to where somebody has to get on your side. <laughs> whose side are you on? Are you talking about whose side am I on? Ah, uh, man, I'm, you know, you, you, you're at work and all of a sudden somebody tries to rope you into some argument and some disagreement. Well, I hope you're on my side. You know how they are. It's like, yeah, I'm friends with them and I can be friends with you. It's like, I'm not, I'm not joining some team to, to, for some, you know, uh, uh, insurrection or something here. But I'll tell you, especially when it comes to church, that's why the Bible says if we have disagreements, man, we just need to work them out. Amen. We need to work them out. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can handle uh, issues that we have. Uh, one of the one of the best one of the very first ways that we need. If I've got a problem with you, you know who I need to talk to very first. Huh? Amen. That's right. The Lord. Amen. Uh, there's there's a great old song that says it this way. Go and tell Jesus on me when my faults and failures you see. If you are my brother, don't go tell another. Heaven. Go and tell Jesus on me. I thought you were coming in right there. Sorry, bud. Uh, go and tell Jesus on me. Amen. Go tell Jesus. Don't go tell the pastor. Don't go tell Sister Waggle Jaws, you know, or whoever else. I mean, listen, tell Jesus on me. And I have come to find out that the times I've, I've went and told Jesus on some people too. Lord, what they did just wasn't right. Lord, what the, and you know what things God does? God kind of puts things in perspective. And he starts saying to me, uh, well, how right have you been there, buddy? How's your attitude right now? And, and God fixes it so oftentimes. But you know what? It doesn't always fix it right away. You know what sometimes I may have to do? I may have to go and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, uh, can, I think there's an issue. Can we work this out together? But the one thing we do not do, we talk to the Lord, we talk to that person, we don't talk to other people. And we sure don't go try to get a squad together. You know? <laughs> And say, are you on my side or are you on their side? But that's kind of what was starting to happen within this church. But again, this church, this church was so protected by love and grace and mercy that it wasn't affecting them greatly. That's why Paul doesn't even address it until the last chapter <clears throat> specifically. But he does uh, hint around to it as he goes on. Okay, so the division at the church, people were taking sides. Uh, and so because we know that one of, the, one of the devil's mottos is to divide and conquer. 
We, we, we must not be divided, amen? We must stand. We must stand not in, not in uniformity, but in unity, amen? Uniformity, that means we all got to be the exact, we've got to be the same, act the same, talk the same, uniformity. No, it's not uniformity, but it is unity. It's different people with different personalities and different interests and so forth that are working together for the same cause. Throughout this letter, Paul uses an interesting device, and this is pretty cool. To emphasize the importance of unity. In the Greek language, the prefix sun, S-U-N, means with or together. And when used with different words, it strengthens the idea of unity. It's kind of like our word, our, our prefix co, C-O. At least 16 times Paul uses the prefix sun, S-U-N, uh, in Philippians. And his readers could not have missed the message he was trying to get across. In verse 27, striving together is sonothelio. Sonothelio, which just means what I said. Striving together. Working together. He's emphasizing that. Have you ever been on a team to where there's been somebody that wants all the praise and all the admiration? They, they're the ones, they want the credit. They're some kind of glory hound. You know, they're the person that wants, uh, you know, they want, all the, uh, they want all the credit and they don't want any, any of the blame. Uh, you know, yeah, ball hog. I mean, man, I, I can't stand a ball hog. Uh, but, but, but it's an attitude, I'm telling you, it's an, it's, it's an attitude that ultimately makes for defeat. Now, uh, this is going to sound biased here, uh, so you can uh, disagree and be wrong. But I think that, that, that's, that's one of the issues, like just say, for instance, with the Duke team of last year. Uh, Duke basketball. I'm being serious here, okay? They're called the devils for the reason, I'm telling you, okay? But, uh, but no, they, they had a couple of the top recruits on their team, several in fact, but I'm telling you, they, I mean, I'm talking about top-level talent. They had uh, a couple of the most talented players in the entire country, if not the top two players in the entire country as far as talent is concerned. Now, how far did they get with that? Not very far. You know why? Because when it came down to crunch time, there was one of them that was going to try to be a hero. And it was the one that wasn't as good as the other one, amen? But I think, was, I think it, was, it was, was determined to prove that he was as good as the other one. Uh, you know, that's Zion Williams and uh, uh, R.J. Barrett. But you look at the UNC team. <laughs> I'm being serious, man. Uh, they have developed a chemistry. Did, did you, I mean, they, they've developed a chemistry throughout the years to where there's teamwork. It'd be so cool. You'd see a guy with the, I'm not biased. I mean, listen, there's, there, would be, there would be guys with an open shot, but they would drop it off to get somebody else an open shot or get an assist or make the extra pass or whatever. And uh, man, it was cool. Did you know Dean Smith, you see this in basketball a lot. Somebody throws somebody an assist. Just bear with me. Paul preached on athletics, so I can. Amen. Uh, uh, in basketball, a lot of times you'll see somebody will get an assist. In other words, they pass the ball, the other person gets a basket. That other person gets a basket and they point back at the person that made the pass. You know where that came from? Dean Smith. He made that a requirement uh, on the Carolina team that if somebody gave you an assist, you need to point to them and acknowledge them. One of the other things that he put into practice was he, he was the one that started to where whenever he, he had a thing to where everybody stands for the man coming off the floor. The entire bench gets up and stands. He's the one that, that, uh, that encouraged the huddle that you'll see every team doing now. I mean, just revolutionary in the game. 
But it was about teamwork, and it was about uh, it was kind of cool. They they had coaches that would keep stats that didn't go in the regular stat book. In other words, they wouldn't just keep the assist, but they would keep the assist that led to the assist, the pass that led to the pass that got the basket, things like that, hustle stats, the things of this nature. What I'm saying is, you can get a lot done. Someone said, I believe Reagan said it. Uh, you can get a lot done when you don't care who gets the credit. And that's the way it ought to be is what I'm trying to get at here tonight. Um, and so uh, th- there's a team. There's, there's, there's caring about the other person, setting up the, setting up the other person. And when it comes to a team, it's not, about, uh, it's not about one person. If you've got one person that's trying to get the credit, now it's one thing if another person gets the credit. That's one thing. Now, we're in an interesting situation because it's, you know, a lot like football or some other teams. There's a guy that's going to get all the credit or a lot of the credit. But it kind of goes like this. A lot of times the, the best player, he will get more, uh, more criticism than he deserves when they lose. And he'll get more credit than they deserve when they win. It goes together. Uh, but a lot of times... Uh, you know, it's just one thing if it just goes to a player automatically. And that's the way it may be in a church sometimes. You know, maybe somebody seems more prominent. Maybe it's just like all this or that. But the fact of the matter is, as long as that person's not out there seeking the glory. Because I'll tell you one thing. You've got problems when you've got the pastor that's the glory hound. You've got problems when anybody's like that. But there's a lot of preachers out there that are that way. I mean, man, they want the credit. You know, they want to be the face of uh, this thing. And, uh, and it's just a pet peeve of mine. So I, I've got some, some of the, my favorite preachers to listen to have their ministries named after them. But I just don't get that. Uh, please, if you ever, if, if, if all of a sudden you see me launching Jesse Haley Ministries, <laughs> please come to me and say, What's with that? Uh, okay, uh, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm I'm being critical. I'm not being critical. I, some of, some of the guys I like to listen to the most have their ministries named after them. Uh, it just trips me out. But uh, but what I'm trying to say is that it sh- it's not about me. It's not about just trying to lift up one person. It's about working together. It's about Christ. Amen. It's about glory glorifying Him. It's about getting the job done. It's about winning for the Lord. Amen. Christian teamwork making the dream work. So he goes to striving together here. Uh, and then lastly, confidence in the conflict. Verses 28 through 30, the Bible says, For unto you it is given uh, on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. That word conflict, you ought to circle that, highlight it, mark it. You know what that word means? It means agony. It's the same word used when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to read these verses to you one more time. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but you know what else God has given to you? But also to suffer for His sake. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's one of those gifts we don't thank God for very often, isn't it? Having the same conflict which you saw in me, the same agony, and now here to be in me. Now, just a couple things I'll say about this. Did you know that battles in the Christian life, battles and difficulties aren't proof that you're not saved. They're proof that you are saved. Amen? They really are. I mean, this is called in in Philippians 3.10, the fellowship of His sufferings. For some reason, many saved folks have the idea that trusting Christ means the end of their battles. In reality, it means the beginning of new battles. The beginning of new battles. 
Jesus said this, John 16, 33. You want, to, you want me to tell you some promises we don't get real excited about? Here's one. In this world, you shall have tribulation. John 16, 33. But he said, be of good cheer. That's what Paul's doing. For I've overcome the world, but you shall have tribulation. And yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. And so uh, th th these trials are proof of who we are in Christ and our, of our salvation. But they're also this conflict is a privilege. We suffer. What do we suffer for? For his sake. Paul tells us that this conflict is granted to us. If we are suffering uh, for ourselves, it would be no privilege. But because we are suffering for and with Christ, it's a high and holy honor. After all, He suffered for us, and a willingness to suffer for Him is the very least we can do to show our love and gratitude. Then uh, lastly, a third encouragement is this. Others are experiencing the same agony. See, Satan wants us to think that we're alone in the battle. He wants us to think that we are alone in the battle, that our difficulties are unique. But that's not the case. The Bible says that the, that the, that the trials that we're facing, they're common to man. In other words, we share in these things. You're not the only one. You're not the only one going through difficulties. You're not the only one having a battle. And you, know what, you want to know what? Even with your specific trial, maybe not everyone is sharing in your specific trial, but someone is. Someone has, and, there's, and, and they can testify and they can help. Man, listen, why do we go through these things? The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Why does God allow these things? You know what? God allowed these things in the beginning. People, people think that everything that happens, God is instituting. God is doing it. You know, God is uh, striking here and striking there. The fact of the matter is, we live in a world that is not the way God intended it to be. He created the Garden of Eden, folks. He created things to be perfect. The one thing He did allow, though, was man to have a choice. And when man chose sin, not only did we go into sin, but I'm telling you, the whole creation fell into judgment. And as a result of that, we live in what's called a sin-cursed world. Sufferings, by the way, reminds us of how sweet home is. Amen, too, by the way. Man, we get to looking toward heaven. But, um, but the Philippians, had they had seen Paul go through conflict when he was with them. They had witnessed his firmness in the Lord. Remember, he was beaten by the Philippian jailer. There was a man in this church that had beaten Paul nearly to death, that got saved by God's grace. But they saw Christ in him. And so that word agonia, agony, conflict, is the same word I said that's used in Luke 22, verse 44, in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we face the enemy, we depend on the Lord. He gives us all that we need for the battle. God gives us what we need. He will give you the strength that you need to live a life that brings glory and honor to Him and for Him. So, at, but going all the way back to this, I don't feel very strong. Man, well, let me, let me encourage you this. Number one, you don't need to be strong. You need to realize that you're weak, but He's strong. But get in the Word. Get in the Word of God. Why is that such a challenge? I mean, I want to encourage you to read it, but I want to encourage you to study it. Amen? I mean, I want to encourage you to look up words, look up meanings, ask questions. I mean, dig in there. Pray. There's a great prayer in the Psalms that says this, Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know what? That's a good, good prayer to pray before you, before you crack open the Bible or play the Bible, however you may read or listen. Lord, open up my eyes. Help me to see something. Because this really is a letter to you. 
God, show me something today. And you may need guidance. I mean, don't just flip and say, oh, I'm just going to read wherever. Okay, Leviticus chapter 11. I don't encourage that, amen? Leviticus is an awesome book, don't get me wrong. But man, if you just start now, try Romans, amen? Try the Gospel of John. Try 1 John. Try, try something like that to where... Uh, but, but you know, you, you could seek people out and we could say, yeah, here's you can, you can read in this area and try to encourage you in that. But man, try to get in the Word of God and it will begin to strengthen your faith. I want to tell you tonight, it is only by the grace of God that I'm standing before you here tonight. You don't know how much of a mess I am. Y'all have a, kind of an idea. But I'm telling you, where the Lord brought me from and who I am, who Jesse Haley really is, I mean, it is only the grace of God that I'm standing here today. Not only, not only in salvation, but since I've been saved. I'm telling you, listen, unto Him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with great joy there in Jude, uh, the last verses there in the book of Jude, it's Him, amen? It's the Word of God. It, all I am today, I owe to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and, and, and the difference that it's made. Remember this, God spoke this universe into existence. That's a lot of power, isn't it? Just in His words? What if you just let these words start getting into your heart and your mind? It will change your thinking. It will change your living. It will change your attitudes. God's Word will change you. Amen? That's how powerful it is. Amen? So be you are a living letter. Let your life demonstrate the power of the Gospel. Amen?